welcome to 2022. I don't know what your hopes are for the next 12 months, but one thing that I think we can say for sure is that a whole lot can change in the space of 12 months, can't it? The world can look a different place. One little example of this, dramatic change in a year. A friend of mine was a maths teacher, and he was telling me about a student who, at the start of the year, um, was on course for an E grade at A level. And um, a year later, that same student sent him a letter with these words. Dear sir, I don't know if you saw, but I got an A star in maths. And it continues. Um, I've always been in the lowest set for maths. I've never had a natural talent for it. You have been the best teacher I've ever had because you taught me more than maths. You taught me that with hard work and determination, I could surpass my expectations. The lessons you gave are ones that I'll use for the rest of my life. I can sense, as I'm reading that, some of you parents wondering, does this guy do private tuition? <laughs> and uh, he doesn't, unfortunately. And if he did, you probably wouldn't be able to afford it, would you? But both of them will tell you that whichever side you're, uh, whichever side you're looking at a relationship like that from, it's a wonderful thing to be part of a relationship where somebody with wisdom and knowledge and experience is investing in somebody who needs to grow in that. And reflecting back on my own journey of faith, um, undeservedly through God's grace, I have been on the receiving end through various people who, who saw potential in me, um, despite my shortcomings and confidence issues. Um, and to the point where now, of course, I get to benefit from um, wonderful support and guidance and counsel from John and Debbie, who are always teaching us, who are the pastors here, new things, whether it's you know, how to handle a challenging pastoral situation, um, or how to avoid looking to the left too often when you do a talk, which is a surprisingly common quirk. If you're sitting over that side, you'll probably notice it today. But the thing that I want to highlight today is that whilst it's wonderful to be on the receiving end of that, it's just as rewarding, if not more so, to be on the other side. And so as we start 2022, you know, we're often thinking about New Year's resolutions, aren't we? And, uh, you know, you might have already made some, whether it's saved some money, Stop eating Mars celebrations for breakfast, like me. Um, finish painting the skirting boards in the house that you moved into three years ago. That's me again. <laughs> but today I want to suggest, what about making a resolution, a goal, or some priorities centered not around what are you going to do, but who are you going to invest in this year? Because if we want to make an impact in our lives for God, if we want to help extend God's kingdom in a meaningful way, we need to be thinking not simply, you know, what am, I, what am I called to do, but who am I passing my wisdom and my experience onto? Who am I investing in? And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, as I start to talk about that, you may not feel ready to be some all-wise, all-knowing mentor figure. Um, few of us do, and especially if perhaps you're new to faith or if you're struggling with your own discipleship. But hopefully today, what you'll see is that this isn't about setting this really high bar of what it, you know, some detailed masterclass on what it is to be a mentor or a coach or some other title that sounds daunting like that. What I'm talking about today is on a much more basic level, simply being a person that encourages others around you in their faith. Because if you're a Jesus follower, that's an all play. That's something for every single one of us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, therefore go to his followers and make disciples. And when he instructed us to do this, he's talking about more than just simply talking to strangers about Jesus. It's about engaging over time 
on this sin, this relational, crucial dynamic that God uses to extend his kingdom, whereby values and practices and a whole lifestyle of being a Jesus follower is passed from person to person and generation to generation within the context of a relationship. So to focus on that day, we're going to zoom in on a relationship that we read about in the Bible between two men, Paul and Timothy. Um, Timothy was one of Paul's apprentices. When you read in the New Testament, you might not notice it, but, but in Paul's letters, like 1 Thessalonians, Romans, Corinthians, Colossians, Timothy is listed at the start as a co-sender of those letters. They work together. And the Bible describes how Paul sent Timothy on trips to look after various churches all over the place, Corinth, Thessalonica, Macedonia. He probably went to Philippi at some point. Um, and he sent him to look after the church in a place called Ephesus. And around about that time, Paul sent Timothy a couple of letters that we receive in the Bible as 1 and 2 Timothy. And they're like this, they're amazing. They're like this little time capsule that's filled with guidance and support and affection. So if you are like, perhaps like me, you like the idea of investing in others, but you're not necessarily sure how to do it, I would encourage you to read these letters. They're gold, um, because there are some, some patterns, some things in there that Paul just seems to do over and over again. And the best thing about them is that they don't seem to be rocket science. Um, so for example, the first theme that really stuck out to me in these books is, is just good old-fashioned encouragement encouragement. You might not necessarily feel qualified to be a coach or a mentor, but could you be an encourager? That's my first question today. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, here's an example. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Do you notice the way he calls him son? He wasn't a biological son, but this shows to us that he, he, he wasn't a project to Paul. He was a person that he loved and his letters to him are filled with phrases like these, words of encouragement. And the truth is that Timothy really, really needed that encouragement. And because it was all kicking off at that church um, in Ephesus, there was fighting, there was politics, there was some dodgy false teaching that was really tearing the church apart. And this was a church that Paul loved. He had spent three years of his life there. And so it's clear from his, there's, there's some really strong words that Paul sends Timothy that he believed that the future of this church was at stake. It was in a mess. And he, he knew that Timothy needed to act swiftly and decisively to sort things out. And so, for example, in chapter 4 of the first letter, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Later on in that letter, he reminds Timothy of the gospel, and he says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and they understand nothing. And so it was kind of like quite a... What's the word? Quite a sort of a dramatic situation. I'm just going to sort this out a second. Sorry. Great. So he's sending him some really sort of firm advice. And I love to imagine um, Timothy receiving these letters. Um, he's got a queue of people outside his door waiting to argue with him, waiting to complain. He's got the elders telling him that he's too inexperienced to sort this out. He's got nobody on his refreshments team for that Sunday. I made that bit up. <laughs> but it was falling to Timothy to have some very difficult conversations with people in his church, and he probably felt out of his depth. 
But I love to imagine him picking this letter up and reading these words. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Similarly, in in the second letter, he says something, some other words I find so encouraging. He says, but you, in the midst of all this chaos that's going on, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I imagine Timothy was shaking fingers, reading these words, and his heart swelling, because Paul had found a way to, to wrap up courage in a letter and send it straight to his heart. That's what encouragement really is, courage wrapped in words. And, you know, when you read the New Testament, the early church was fueled on this stuff. It was crucial. Courage wrapped in letters and dispatched to the hearts of the the leaders that were trying their best, to the young and the inexperienced, to the overwhelmed, to the disheartened, to the frightened who were facing persecution. And it transformed them. It transformed them into leaders, pioneers, church planters, people who were ready to face trial and persecution because of the encouragement that was sent to them. And I, I believe that it, now in 2022, with everything that's going on in the world around us, the church is just as much in need of encouragement today as it was back then. Encouragement is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing when somebody looks at you. Have you ever had that, where somebody looks at you and despite your shortcomings, believes in you and expresses a desire to back you? Have you ever experienced that? It's an amazing thing. Um, One example of that in my life um, was through this, a man called David Henderson, who you may not know. He was a member and a trustee of this church and he chose to spend his retirement and project managing the construction of, of this building, these buildings that we have. Um, so you literally have him to thank for the roof over your head at the moment. And um, during that, he got ill with, um, with, with un- unwell with cancer, and he, he needed an assistant to work on, on the construction site. And I always remember the first sort of proper conversation we had. He'd, he, he invited me to see if I would be up for being involved in that role. And um, David's work ethic was off the chart. So, so this meeting, for example, took place literally at the hospital while he was in bed. And I was there by his bedside, and he you know, introduced himself. And he explained the role. It was sort of helping managing stuff on site, dealing with the contractors, payments, and things like that. And I had a bit of construction background experience, but I didn't, I didn't think I got the right experience to do the job. And so I expressed some reservations. And I'll never, I'll never forget the way he, he responded in that moment. It was brilliant. It just... Yeah, it makes me emotional just to think about it, actually. But he, he leant across the bed, and he looked at me as I expressed my reservations, and he said, I'm less concerned about your ability, and I'm more concerned about your appetite. And he talked about the impacts that these buildings, you know, could have, the lives that could be changed in them. And he said, do you want to be part of that? And I was totally in. Of course I was in at that moment. And over the next few years, he, he taught me a lot through his example. So with him, I learned that, oh, sorry, I'm really sorry. (laughs) It really made a difference in my life, and you can probably tell. So I learned through him that tricky meetings would always start 15 minutes early with prayer. Um, I learned from him a zeal for sharing um, faith. 
So he would do like some hard negotiating with a contractor for like an hour. Um, but then the minute they said they got a bad back, he'd like run around the table and start offering to pray for them. Integrity, he had a great sense of humor, but he would never entertain jokes at people's expense. And he did, he did this thing where if, if somebody started gossiping about somebody, he would, he would look over their shoulder and welcome the person they were gossiping into the room as if they just walked into the room and be like, oh, hello, and they would, they would often spin around in a panic. And no matter how busy or stressful a meeting was, he would invariably turn to me at the end and ask me how I was doing, how Abby was doing, and he would pray for our family. I think he taught me that if a leader can learn to encourage somebody to do as Paul did, to wrap up courage in words and speak it to the heart, it's one of the greatest tools that we have at our disposal. It's a brilliant thing, encouragement. It's powerful. It doesn't cost a penny, and it's not actually rocket science. It's firstly about praising what you see, and secondly, it's about calling out the potential of what you haven't seen yet, but you have a hunch is somewhere in there. So, for example, it's not saying just you know, generic things like, oh, you're great. It's saying something specific but simple. It might be if somebody's on the Connect team, you might say, hey, I noticed the way you welcomed that person into the room this morning who looked a bit nervous. You did a great job. Thank you for that. It might be saying, hey, I noticed how gracious you were in that tricky conversation the other day. Or saying, oh, the way you did that particular job yesterday, you did it with more care than most people. Brilliant. Simple but meaningful. I remember one of the first times I prayed out loud in a, in a prayer meeting. Do you remember when you first become a Christian, it can be, it's a little bit nervous to pray out loud, isn't it? And the guy who led the meeting, he just took the time to come up to me afterwards and say, that prayer was a really good prayer. Well done. It, it was really kind. It meant so much to me. Or more recently, um, I got a message from another pastor who, um, who I considered to be like a proper Bible person. And they sent me, they listened to one of the talks that I did, and they, they, they sent me an email just explaining why they thought I'd done a good job. And it meant so much that I literally made Abby stand in the kitchen while I read the whole email out loud <laughs> to her. Praising what you see. Could you do that? And secondly, it's sometimes about calling out what you don't see yet, but you believe it could be in there. Saying, for example, hey, it's great having you in our small group, but I think you'd make a great job of leading your own small group one day. Or saying, hey, when you talk about the way that Jesus has changed your life, it's inspiring. And I see you sharing your faith with other people and them coming to Jesus. Is there somebody in your life who's waiting to receive some encouragement like that this year? The last few years, I've done this little New Year's resolution of my own where I literally pray and jot down a few names each year in the back of my notebook, people that I feel God is sort of prompting me to actively champion. And um, it's a real mixture of people, some people that I know well, some people who are involved here, others who aren't. And um, the way that I've tried to encourage them has been different for different people. For some, it might be going for a walk every now and again. And then basically every time they tell me something that they're trying to do for God, I just encourage that and praise it. Um, for others, it might be just putting a reminder in your diary to pray for them regularly and send them a message, just encouraging them, seeking what God might be saying to them. One guy, I keep a little paperweight on my desk as a reminder to, to every time I sort of see it, to remind to, to ask God if there's anything that he wants to say to them to encourage them, and I send them a text message. Or for others, it's been about intentionally looking for opportunities to find ways for them to use their gifts and try new things here. It's lots of fun. 
So who could you be an encourager to? Secondly, could you be a reminder? That's my second question. Now, of course, Paul's letters, they don't just contain encouragement. There's also quite a bit of advice in there in places. Um, And this is the bit that's perhaps a little bit more daunting, isn't it? Um, Because it creates a bit of pressure suddenly to, to know what to say, to have the right things to say, to have the answers. I remember chatting to somebody at Trent who'd started to lead a team here. And um, they said, oh, can I ask you a question? I've started to lead this team, and um, what, I, what I see is that all you pastors, what you seem to do is you seem to meet up in the coffee shop for people and have a coffee with people. And so I've started to meet with people on my team for coffee, but my question is, what am I supposed to talk about when we do that? Like, what is the point? What is the point in doing that? He felt pressure to know what to say. But the thing that really struck me when I was reading through these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, recently, was that whilst Paul does give practical and specific advice, he spends an awful lot of time just reminding Timothy of stuff that they both already know. So here's just a few examples. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. And it continues, guard the good deposit which was entrusted to you, the teaching that he'd already received. And then 1 Timothy 4, do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So he's, he's, he's so often he's referring back to stuff, reminding Timothy of things. Why did he do this? Well, I think this is one of the most releasing and important aspects of discipleship. Paul knew that he couldn't be there all the time to give Timothy the answers. And he knew, in fact, you know, when he wrote to Timothy, he was in prison waiting execution. He knew that one day he wouldn't even be able to, to send him letters. And so he, 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 instead of fostering any kind of dependency on himself as this fountain of wisdom, he pointed Timothy to God. He fostered a dependency in Timothy on God, on, on Scripture. He reminded Timothy, those things are your plumb line. And he got him to think independently. 2 Timothy 2 verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all, all of this. As a spiritual father, Paul longed for his spiritual son to mature into independence. And so he reminds him of the foundational things, go to God, go to the scripture, and he encourages him to engage his brain. I think Susie um, mentioned this on the stage recently, but one example of how John and John does this in particular is that when we're talking about some tricky decision or other, you know, rather than just tell us the answer, which he probably knows already, he'll ask us questions. Like one question he asks a lot is, well, what's best for the church? Or what does the Bible say about that? It's not the answer. It's a reminder of how to find it, where to find it. I remember um, a few years ago, um, as well, similarly, a leader led me through this process. I was wrestling with a bit of a personal dilemma, and I went to them hoping that they would just tell me what to do. Um, but instead, they simply asked me, well, what do you think the Bible says about that? And so I had to go at answering that question, and then they, they asked me, so what, what do you think God says about that then? What do you think God thinks about it? So again, I had to go at answering that question, and then they said, so what do you think would be the right thing to do? 
And after leaving me time to answer that, they finally asked me, so what are you going to do? And I remember coming away from that conversation with clarity and also thinking how wise this person was until I realized, hang about, I did all the work there. They didn't do anything. It's clever. There are times when it's about giving wise and sage advice. But if we want people to grow to be independent, sometimes it's simply about reminding them of what they already know. Just being a person who can see the wood from the trees and ask the obvious questions. What does God think about that? What does the Bible say about that? Where can you find truth? Could you be a person like that? Could you be a reminder? And finally, could you ask, who's next? 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I think this verse is fascinating if you look at it because there are, do you know, there's four spiritual generations in one verse there. So first of all, you've got Paul who's writing it, me. And then he says, um, he's writing, of course, to Timothy. That's the second generation. And then he's saying, instructing Timothy to say that in the presence of many witnesses who will then be qualified to teach others. You see, there's like four layers. And Paul's got his eye on all of these. And he's encouraging Timothy Pass this stuff on, pass this stuff on. Into, later on in verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. He's always encouraging Timothy to consider, who's next? And uh, he goes on in the third chapter to spend a few paragraphs telling Timothy how to spot people who, who are ready to be invested in and raised up as leaders. It's absolute gold. We use that, 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 that couple of chapters or that couple of paragraphs there as our sort of like leadership criteria here at Trent. And this thinking was always there in Paul's ministry. And of course, it was always there in Jesus' ministry as well. Jesus was always looking not just at his disciples, but the disciples beyond the disciples. And I love that we are really intentional about this, I believe, as a church. I remember when, we, when Abby and I first started leading a small group, we went to our first cluster group. So we met with the, 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 the people who were overseeing us. And so we explained, OK, we've started our small group. We've got a core there's six people in our core, and then we've got some people from our alpha table. Um, so there's about 12 of us all together, and there's uh, somebody who can play worship. Um, and our cluster leaders, Sue and Carlo um, Borgazani, Sue didn't waste a moment. She was right in there. She was like, well, I think it's probably time for you to start thinking about who's going to plant out of this group, because you've got 12 people now. It's ready to go. And we were like, give us a minute. We've only just started. But this kind of Thinking is vital for the health and the growth of the church because every generation in church history has relied on the generation before to think this way, to do this. You know, if you, if you think about it, if, you, if you've ever been blessed by a Christian in your life ever, you have not just that Christian to thank, but the 50 or so generations between them and Jesus who passed on the values and the ways of Jesus such that you could benefit from it in this generation. And right now, the baton of that is in our hands. It falls to us. And our legacy will depend not by necessarily how gifted we are, what we do, but who we invest in, who we pass it on to. So that's my challenge as we start this year. I want to ask you, not what you're going to do necessarily, but who are you going to invest in? And my challenge is to pray, maybe as you're fasting over the next few weeks, Read um, 1 and 2 Timothy, read these letters, and maybe jot down a name or two. Send a text message or two. Arrange to go for a walk with somebody. 
The other thing I'd say is if you, you know, can reflect back on somebody who's had an impact on your life, send them a text today, send them a message, give them a call, encourage them. They may not realize the impact that they had. Now today, um, it's very much, I've only really scratched the surface of this topic of one-to-one discipleship. There's a lot more to it. It does require wisdom and discernment over time and the ability to challenge in love and all of that. But the thing I'm trying to impress is that if we simply start by encouraging people, by pointing them to Jesus when they get stuck, pointing them to the Bible when they're not sure, and encouraging them to do the same with others, then that's a good place to start. As Paul says to Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. And so that's my New Year's resolution for everybody this year. Um, A reminder of the mandate that Jesus gave us all. Therefore, go and make disciples. Mm -hmm.